cliffcentral.com. Very warm welcome to you and thank you so much for having us on. I'm Sean Woodley and welcome to the 2017 Human Rights Day special on racism proudly presented to you by ANSA, the Anti-Racism Network South Africa and cliffcentral.com. Whether you're streaming live um, on Cliff Central or have downloaded the podcast, we appreciate you for listening this morning. Uh, so again, good morning. And uh, with us, uh, we have Dr. Karen Abrams, and then we also have Professor Melissa Stain. And what's very interesting about both of them, Doc and the Prof, uh, they're part of Wits University, and um, they serve Wits. So it's great to have you. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. It's great having you, Melissa. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Too. It's always great talking to you, Melissa. A pleasure. <clears throat> As the national convener of ANSA, I'm honored and excited to lead the discussion for the next hour or the next 45 minutes on the current campaign take on racism. And it's important and the, the importance and the impact uh, this week and answer as in terms of the country. Um, so we're talking about today is, uh, yeah, today is Human Rights Day. Um, and this is what the, the program is about. So to you, Karen, the first question to you is, uh, what does this as a South African, uh, that comes out of apartheid, uh, what what does this day mean for you? Well, I think uh, I come out of the tail end of apartheid, um, and so I didn't really experience the the kind of heat of it as as others might have. But I think that this day is particularly interesting for um, for for the generation that has seen both, um, because because we exactly are on the cusp of. Um, it's almost a new beginning. People say that, you know, South Africa has been at it for 22 years. But in a longer history, um, 22 years is just the beginning. And so it's quite an exciting time. Um, it's also quite, I think, sobering to know that um, these uh, these racist incidents, you know, uh, they keep on happening. They They may have always happened, but... Uh, now they, through social media and, and other medium, they are more visible. And I think it's it's really uh, at time right now that we we can engage with um, this generation um, and and seek change. And so that's quite exciting. Ah, thanks, Karen. Um, Melissa, the same question to you. I mean, just. Uh your own view, you've, you have a history of our country, today we yes. celebrate, uh, and I mean, Human Rights Day. What does this mean for you? Well, you know, Sean, I think as a white South African who was born sort of in the, the, the deep apartheid years and lived through 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, <laughs> giving my age away here, uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, it... It's it's a really important and gratifying experience to be able to be part of um, correcting the past. It's a, it's an incredible gift that history has given white South Africans, 
um, I think that it's not very often that when a really deep social injustice has been committed in your name, that you get an opportunity to participate in righting those wrongs. And yes. this is an opportunity that white South Africans have. I don't believe that that many South Africans, I don't believe that in a, in a broad-based way that white South Africans have taken it on that way. But I think that Human Rights Day gives us the opportunity to again ask ourselves, how are we participating in the, the, the post-apartheid South Africa and how are we participating to create the human rights out of the human wrongs? Oh, lovely. And so today uh, we would look at the end of anti-racism week. So I'd just like to just give you an, uh, a background of ANSA. ANSA is the anti-racism network South Africa and this network has been formed by the Nelson Mandela Foundation and the Amit Katrada Foundation. And the feeling of both foundations was that in order to tackle this racism, it's virtually impossible for single individuals or just individuals and uh, a few foundations. And so the idea was, how do we begin to start a network? And so their investment into this network, um, so we have between 80 and 100 civil society organizations around the country that makes a part of ANSA. We have a footprint of ANSA within pro in six provinces. And hopefully this year we will launch it in the other provinces. And so one of the key projects or ideas for ANSA uh, was to come up with an idea that will be able to give South Africans a platform to express themselves around the issue of how do you take on racism. And that idea was Anti-Racism Week. So we have Anti-Racism Week. Um, and there's four, four things that Anti-Racism Week talk into. Um, the first one is how do we take on this racism? And the first idea is that we need to start to learn about racism. The second one is that we need to, to talk about it. And the third one is we need to speak out against racism. And the last one, if necessary, uh, how do we act against this? And, and, and what are the channels that one could do that? So this is anti-racism week and it ends today. So, just to go back to, to Dr. Karen, uh, Doc, just based on uh, your experiences uh, around uh, a young South African, uh, what has your contribution has been to uh, in terms of taking on racism? Um, I, I, I don't think it's been, you know, huge. There are many other people in South Africa that are doing, you know, much more. Um, and I, I think... I see my contribution as, um, as, as, as guiding the process. Um, I'm a researcher by training, as you know, um, and me together, I, I together with Melissa and others have sat on the steering committee of ANSA for the past three years and also in its inception, um, talking through how, what, what, what a network should be. Um, and I think apart from, you know, the, the everyday, um, my everyday challenges to racism w within my own family, uh, within my university, um, is this bigger project. How can we build this project? And I think for me, that's been something that I that I consider somewhat of a, of a calling, of a vocation. Um, how to best think through this, and how to think through it between um, what government does, between what civil society does, and ordinary people. Um, and how we can bring those things together um, 
with the help of universities and other researchers to really make this project work and really fight back against racism. So I think that's, that's been important for me. And and thank you so much, Karen, for being part of this process. Melissa, you've been part of ANSA. and. Yes. Uh, but in terms of your personal, as you speak about white people within South Africa, what contribution have you been making in terms of taking on racism? <laughs> well, um, sure. I think I've got the dubious um, sort of pedigree <laughs> of having been the person who first started writing about critical whiteness in South Africa and about white identity and, um, you know, sort of, critiquing the underpinnings of whiteness, which is not quite the same as racism. But we aren't actually going to sort of um, clear the the decks of racism if we don't also at the same time understand how whiteness operates because there are these systemic um, ignorances and blind spots within whiteness that need to be addressed. Um, and, and, and people need to raise consciousness, their own consciousness around that. So there's a, there's a lot of work on that area. Um, but of course, I also run the, the diversity, um, studies, the Center for Diversity Studies. And, um, all our work is engaged with challenging, um, systems of, of privilege and oppression of the creation of, of otherness and, Systems of marginalization. So, so I suppose I can just say that this, this is like rather like what Karen said. I mean, I think for some of us it is vocation. Um, and, um, and I see answer as a very important expression of that vocation, um, moving forward in a way that links together civil society organizations. And, and how do we make this part of the yeast of our society? Um, mm. That I think is is the the great um, ambition that we have. Right, uh, Dr. Karen, you've been you've been doing some writing recently, I believe, um, uh, and some research. Can you just share uh, that? I think you launch a paper within the next week. Can you just shed some light on that for us? Um, so for for the past, uh, I think it's it's a it's a year in the in the in the publication process. Um, but there's a publication coming out within the next few weeks, um, and it's a publication jointly of the Katrara Foundation and the Gauteng City Region Observatory. Both of uh, both organisations um, are uh, organisations that I used to work with and alongside. Um, the publication is called Pathways to Anti-Racism, and it's an edited uh, contribution by different authors. Um, and it also includes uh, a photo essay, some poetry, um, some of the workshop material that um, Melissa's unit conducted um, year before last, speaking to uh, SRC members, um, talking about what will an anti-racist society look like. Um, and it's together, I think, the the publication gives us a real sense of um, a visionary set of beliefs about the kinds of things that um, South Africans from across the board, whether we are involved in governance, um, with, that means in the state, trying to look at how do we address racism, how do we tackle um, the scourge without um, creating, again, classes of people, without witch-hunting racists, um, but also to realize that 
in an in a racist society we carry within us some of those beliefs and really the the publications focus on practice and that links to the conference that um, ansa hosted last year the the practice of anti-racism so we we may debate about what it is and what it does but what we what we have to be clear on is what we can do to take on racism so you'll see lots of the the slogans is be aware um be brave be courageous um and it's all of these things about how we actually undermine challenge and confront racism so th- those the the publication deals with the, the the practices that we can um bring on board either state led practices or organizational culture practices or everyday modes of just being with fellow south africans that throw up these kind of racial norms and our, our racist behavior okay so karen in the next couple of weeks how are we going to get hold of this paper it's it will be available on the ansa website um as well as the gcro the gauteng city region observatory website and so it will be an online totally free publication it is linked to a youtube video so that will be on on the social media and then uh, we'll we'll have a way to um to download that yeah melissa i i've been, i've been listening to you before listening to you before this as you speak about whiteness i think um Many South Africans would like to know what does white privilege mean. Uh, some probably do know, but what is white privilege, and how? How? What? What message do you have for white people that are in denial that this thing doesn't exist? Okay, all right. Um, so, Sean, white privilege, um, you know, has a family resemblance to all these other positions of of um, dominance in society. So, like male privilege or heterosexual privilege. So what we find in society is that that although we have been taught through through sort of the the discourses of liberal humanism that that the this the the country or the the nation consists of individual people in relation to the state like then and in many ways human rights are framed within that within that understanding. However if you really look at society you can see that that um different different groups are positioned relative to each other so depending on how how we are understood to fit into society as either men or women or people who've been raised in particular ways for example um some the, those differences have been made to mean something over a very long period of time so that some people are systematically advantaged in the way in which that difference is understood and some people are, are equally but opposite are are disadvantaged for the way in which they differ along this particular um axis of difference if you like so so the construction of race which is which is at least a 500 year old or maybe even more construction um systematically has placed people who are understood to be white people who are understood to be descendants of of european um stock to use the <laughs> to use the 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 uh, sort of like um, eugenicist type notion um 
have been systematically given the advantages of of the way in which race is understood. So race being understood ideologically as being a superior way of being and actually being just the actually the normal and proper way of being human. And this construction has meant that, you know, all the goodies in society systematically are are siphoned away from people who are understood to be black towards people who are understood to be white. So this is this is materially, economically, um, you know, in terms of, of 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 benefits of having your culture regarded as superior, but also psychologically in terms of feeling that you are a superior person. Um, and that and white privilege is the normalization of that arrangement. It's made to seem just the ordinary, everyday, proper way in which society should be organized. That it's completely natural that white people should be in positions of of um, greater material advantage, be getting the best of everything that society has to offer, and that black people should be should be there in relationships that are more inclined to be service or support to white people. And that's that's the normalization of whiteness. So when you when you're socialized within that space of whiteness, that you just take that for granted. It just seems like the right way for the world to be. And of course part of that is is a complete ignorance and misunderstanding of how these relationships really are constituted and how they really do come about and how they are based upon social injustice. So you find that within the space of whiteness, it's a, it's a subjectivity that's shaped within relations of domination. And people whose, whose understandings of the world are shaped within domination tend to be very unaware of a lot of the really important things about how society actually operates. Um, and don't understand themselves as being um, the recipients of an unfair advantage. So, you know, I, I think that sort of gives some sense of, yeah, of sure. what we're looking <clears throat> at, you know. No, great. Um, so, so if I can just also say, yeah. so, so there's what you could call um, um, an implicit racism that's built into whiteness, which is, the, you know, that the very, the very assumptions that have shaped the subjectivity, shaped your sense of self, are racist, even if you aren't actively, um, you know, sort of embracing or employing racist thinking. It's it's actually what shaped your world. It's what holds your world in place. Um, so that's a lot of a lot of of work that needs to be done to actually come to understand those things. If you are a person who is is um, you know socialized as white, right. Karen, there's also, um, uh, as we do know, that privilege was, there was a percentage of privilege uh, in terms of all race groups. Um, And so there's also a denial by certain race groups within blackness uh, that deny they were privileged. Uh, You want to share a little about that? Yeah, it's an an interesting thing. Um, I think so much of, um, of, of the blame for racism has been cast at the feet of white individuals and not whiteness, as Melissa explained, this this constructed idea of whiteness and domination. Um, and I think it's particularly this this personalization of individuals um, that makes it a little tricky. So on the one hand, l- let me just, you know, uh, start off with the idea of um, 
of criminalizing uh, racism, and you know, we, we might have different debates about that. But the the difficulty with that is that it personalizes it. So it suggests that racism is not um, a systemic three, five hundred year old construct that we have grown up with and live within. It suggests that it's just a, a, a deformity, a pathology within certain individuals. And so um, that I think that individual, individualization of racism is a really tricky thing. Um, and at the same time, the, the individualization of privilege. Um, so as we know in apartheid, privileges were um, given and withheld from certain race groups for particular political reasons. And that may have been to um, to coerce certain race groups to um carry out or to uh, kind of imbibe the, 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 the racist practices of the day. Um, in fact, some schools of thought even say that the, the whole idea of classifying um, different race groups um, is a form of privilege that, or a form of um, race making that sets us apart from each other. And so, those kind of privileges exist uh, with education, um, with the way our cities are planned, the way group areas were planned, just the way people grew up. And I think when you talk about how, why people deny uh, privilege, um, I think it's, I think on the one hand, it's um, it's a need to identify with the the, the oppression that all black populations faced in South Africa and across the world. Um, but also it's a way, I think, of of suggesting that um, distancing oneself from, um, from racism. And when Melissa talked about those kinds of subjectivities that people live with every day, I think that's a really tricky one because at the same time, um, someone who classified Indian or colored could um, talk about experiences of racism while at the same time exhibiting racism themselves. Mm. Um, Mm. And so I think that's that's a really interesting thing that we have to deal with. So when we think about anti-racism within our particular context, those are those layers um, of racism that are, that, that becomes, part of our everyday ways of being. Um, and so that's why we need to undo these forms of racism at every step. Thank you, Karen. So let's just get back to anti-racism week. Um, during this campaign, lots of young people and uh, when they, when we engaged, the big question is what is racism? I mean, that's a question that comes up all the time. Um, there's different views. Uh, how do you, is xenophobia racism? Is the issue of gender? Uh, so people will begin to say, please, can you please define what this is? So Marissa, how would you define? <laughs> because we're going to take on this racism. What are we taking on? I mean, that, that, that's the question that's coming up all the time. So I think 
I think let's make life easy for ourselves mm. and acknowledge that it's a very multifaceted issue. Yeah. You know, and I think part of the trouble we get into is when we try to say, you know, this is racism, not that, and then somebody else has got, you know, a, a different part of the picture, and we're fighting, you know, this this internal struggle about who's actually understanding racism correctly. Yeah. Um, and And in many ways, I think that that incapacitates us. And we also need to be asking ourselves for people who are wanting to be able to perpetuate, um, you know, discrimination or exclusion and don't want it named racism, what, what is at stake for them there? Why, why are pursuing that particular agenda? So I think we need to be always asking ourselves who's getting to define this for what purposes, you know, and with what effect. So that's just the preamble. Okay. Um, but I think the, the important thing, and I both, both Karen and I have, have talked about this now, um, already just today, um, that we have to understand that the deep logic of modernity, the deep logic that has shaped the whole global world through the period of modernity was that of white supremacy. So, this this is something that has been built into the the whole way in which modernity has been organized um and so if we're wanting to work to 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 eradicate racism as this deep dna of our society we have to think in terms of the systemic ways in which it's been structurally built into um, society, but also the ways in which what we talked about earlier, the ways in which it shaped our very understandings of ourselves, what we've internalized in terms of internalized dominance, internalized oppression, and things like that. Um, so, so this this is indicates to us that this means that it is going to be multifaceted because it's going to be have been given a kind of an expression, whether it's economic, whether it's social, whether it's cultural, whether it's individual. You know, it's going to it, racism is going to be found in all of those things. All right. The one thing that I do think, though, is that we do have to understand that it was a system of of white supremacy. It was an ideology of white superiority. So. We can't, I think, take that out of the understanding of racism, however it gets refracted in other configurations and in other, in other social contexts and in, within other, you know, uh, groupings of people that, that that is at base what has started all of this. So, yeah, I think it obviously does have individual expression. And I do think that we need to hold individuals accountable for egregious um, expressions of racism. But that in itself, if we're only looking at those individual expressions, we're not getting to the heart of the matter. We can't actually um, deal with the issue because those are in ways always um, symptoms. And we need to look at how it gets diffused through the whole of society. I don't know if, if that no, makes that's sense. That's fine. Karen, yeah. you want to add to that? Um. Not too much. I mean, broad agreement with what uh, with what Melissa said, and I think you know, if if racism is you know defined has to be defined in so at so many different levels, a kind of structural level, um, and a kind of way of being in the world, as well as interpersonal um, understandings of how people treat other people. Then anti-racism has to has to also function at those levels. Mm. Um, it has to be about these broad beliefs in society, 
the the broad culture within which we operate, um, as well as undoing structural racism through institutions and how um, groups of people are categorized and groups of people are treated by institutions of the state or other organizations. But it must also tackle interpersonal forms of racism. Um, and total agreement, we can't only focus on one of those things. Mm. So to suggest that anti-racism is only about criminalizing acts of racism on social media is a very narrow way of looking at the breadth of our response to this this ingrained societal scourge of racism. So what we need to do is both balance those dismantling those structural and interpersonal forms of racism um, and seeking out ways that racially oppressed people are less racially oppressed, whether it's by the state, whether it's by um, political parties, whether it's within our institutions, in our universities, in our churches, in our homes, um, in our domestic spaces, and so forth. Oh, great. Just talking about anti-racism week, um, and so I'm just throwing out some of the questions that I've I've experienced and people have been asking me, and and what's coming up here is the the hate crimes bill. Now, I hear you talk about it. it we're going to have to look at the multifaceted approach, and this is one approach. W- Will this make a difference? If we're looking at, uh, yes, we will look at the multifaceted approach. This is one approach. Mm-hmm. What difference would this make? You're asking me. Mm. <clears throat> um, well, well, I in in broad terms, I'm actually in favour of it mm-hmm. because I think that we do need certain baselines for how we behave together as a society. Um, I mean, we, we, we all know that there's certain things that we just don't do in public. We, there's certain things that we just don't do when we're wanting to have a sort of social, the, the spaces in which society operates and is given expression. And, and I think that, um, this is one of them is that we actually, we, if you, if you're writing something that is going into the public domain, I think that it is important that you learn. To edit it, that you, mm. and I don't mean it just physically edit it. I mean in terms of of what you're actually saying, that you think about it because it has an impact on other people. Because a society is built up of relationships, and this sense that in some ways, you know, you can speak out into the world, and um, it's not it's not actually going to land somewhere. I think is a very a very dangerous way of of performing your selfhood. So, so I I think that um, people do do learn. I think people are much are put up much more resistance when something is is anticipated, and I think once it's there, they learn to adjust. And um, and I think that that we do need to say this is not something that we allow in our society. We don't want it. Um, people people must actually think about the effects of what they're saying. Good, Karen. So this is one one approach and one facet, as we would say. What, what would be some of the other facets? What would be some of the other approaches that we uh, need to be looking at in terms um, of because because what the hate crimes bill will do will control behaviours within our country, yeah. and that's what it will do. But mm. in order to bring about this behavioural change, any ideas of what what we could do and where should we start? Sure. I mean, 
you know, I think the the bigger question to ask is how how do how do governments govern for social change? And I mean, it's it's that's that's the kind of thing that's occupied my thinking a lot. It's a course that I teach, um, and. One of the ways is, of course, the idea of the hate crimes bill. And it's absolutely necessary because we don't have one. Mm. In fact, the, we are at the very final stages um, of approving the National Action Plan Against Racism. And the first action of the action plan, the first of many actions, I should add, is, this, is the hate crimes bill. Uh, and bringing that to the fore. And I, and I think a lot has been done by the Department of Justice in bringing that to the fore and getting comments. Um, and I think all of the comments are in. Um, I think the danger and the report that will come out soon, this pathway to anti-racism, there is a, ch- a chapter um, written by Dr. Kira Owen from the um, Durban University of Technology that she looked at national action plans and what that has meant for the practice, the ongoing practice from particular countries. And she noticed that countries that as a first step started criminalizing racism, sometimes that became the only response. And that every year there would be a revision of the the criminalization of racism or hate crimes and that governing social change or Talking to anti-racism only became around, only became about criminalizing it. Um, and that's certainly not enough. It's a great start. It's a necessary start because people have to be held to account, as Melissa was saying. Uh, people can't just think that, you know, it's okay to think particular uh, thoughts about people, to use particular words, to act in particular ways. It's not okay. And it's unequivocally uh, unequivocally not okay, and that that hate crimes bill draws a line under it, and I think that's what's really um, necessary about it. But we must not we must not forget that it's the first of many actions against racism that needs to follow, and we can't only criminalize on the one hand without building institutions, uh, ways of teaching young people in schools uh, through education about how to treat each other. It's not just about learning national anthems and the the, the kind of myths and legends of our our South African story. It's really, Melissa will tell you more about this because her her unit at at WITS has been focused on this. Um, the, 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 The basics of how we regain our humanity. If if the the state's focus is not also on that, then I think we are doing a disservice to society just by talking about criminalization. But that's it. Um, in societies where um, things have been criminalized, in generations to come, they became part of the norms of society. Um, at this stage, you know, it might it might drive racism underground. It might, you know. Give it a more private face where people where people are free to express themselves in private and have a public persona or a, um, a persona in the companies that they work for that's more PC, let's say. And so I think it's it's the start, but it's not the end. 
Melissa? You know, I can't agree more. Hmm. Um, and I think part of the problem that has has sort of um, led us to this moment where we are experiencing a crisis anew is that that South Africans have had this compliance mindset that that even like for example within organisations policies like like employment equity like affirmative action have been implemented in the spirit of compliance. So it's like yeah. how can we just do the absolute minimum in order not to get into trouble with the law. You know, so the, and, and what we actually have found in our own research is that ironically, focusing just on the numbers means that you don't even get the numbers right because people don't stay. If they're, if they're working in an environment that is still in many ways um, characterized by racist assumptions, they don't feel welcome, they feel excluded, they feel in hostility, they feel that they're not properly recognized, they feel they don't belong. And all of those things, they feel that their voice doesn't really matter. Um, and all of those things add up to a situation where people do leave. So, so the numbers, ironically, don't actually get sorted out either. So... And that's just talking about the workplace, but it applies across the board in society. We absolutely have to do the deep work that has to do with, um, as Karen said, regaining our humanity. And this is something that we all have to do um, on all, you know, on all sides of of the question of racism. Um, how, do, how do we get to firstly understand how how racism has structured? Um, society and people's understandings of themselves, and and how do we then work to change that around? It's not it's not a um, it's not an easy process. It can be quite quite destabilizing, um, but I think that it's really important. And Sean, if I could just say that I think one of the processes that that is involved in that is the whole question of our history. Mm. I mean, it is really really important that. Speaking specifically about white South Africans, that that white South Africans get to understand our history because the way that the history has been perpetuated in the past has been part of the construction of ignorance around the true relationships that have built this country, the founding relationships of this country, and as long as white South Africans are are certain that those knowledges are the right way to understand our country and how we've come to be where we are, we are going to constantly get into trouble like we've just seen with, with Helen Zilla. I mean, there, there has to be a, a real engagement with what the truth is about colonization um, and, and what the, the relationships have been um, and, the, and the impact that this has had on people's um, livelihoods and the sense of the humanity and unless we do that as white South Africans we will always be unable to actually relate to our fellow South Africans it is it is an unbelievably big barrier to um, a, a proper sense of relationship mm. great I you know one of one of the key things during this week that has been one of the highlights of anti-racism week was the risk pain campaign with the Department of Justice within schools. Um, and, and because we, we, we got to ask the question, where do we start? Um, so we, we, so we, so I, um, I draw the analogy, bit, just working with young people and working with, with, with kids using the flu. Um, that young kids at school, 
uh, we got to start to build the immune system, mm-hmm. and that, that that's that's critical. So we have we have kids. Some kids might have a running nose, but they just don't have flu. Mm-hmm. Where adults have double pneumonia. I put it <laughs> that way, because it's part of our DNA. We grew up with that. My question is, how do we build the immune system of young people? Because because that's critical. The, the, for me, uh, when when we build a strong immune system, the virus, when they get to their uncle's house at the braai, their parents, uh, that they, their immune system has to be strong because this virus uh, is coming in. I mean, we, we need an antibiotic da, 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 to deal with our, our stuff and thus the anti-racism weak and a whole lot of stuff because we need to cure. Mm. How do we prevent? And that's, that's the, the thing. So my question to Karen and to Melissa, what, how do we build the immune system of young people so when this virus comes, uh, they could be strong in terms of taking on racism and all forms of discrimination? Well, I'm a very strong advocate for what we call critical diversity literacy. Um, so it deals with, with not only racism, though, you know, very, very firmly and centrally with racism, but also, you know, um, the the constructions of patriarchy that position women as inferior, um, heteronormativity, um, the way in which age gets constructed. So we do, we do um, try to to bring together all these intersectional um, readings of privilege and oppression. Um, but the point is that that we do have to introduce this, I think, in school, and we can do it in an age-appropriate way. We can start with little children, the very basics. And unfortunately, what we do find is that that we know that children children don't construct difference as a way of discrimination. That's something they learn from us, and particularly in the family as the primary site of socialization. And the unfortunate thing is that we find that that they're fine when they're little. It's when they get sort of like into high school and you see all this stuff kicking in, and that is because of the influence of family. So because this is, it's so pervasive, and it is like you say, we catch it like we catch measles and mumps. Mm. The point is that it's not good enough for families and and teaches the school system to say, you know, we aren't actively, we aren't actually encouraging this stuff. We don't use racist language, whatever, whatever. The point is that you actually have to be constructing an anti-racist mm. family and an anti-racist school. So you've got to be actively working against these dominant assumptions that are going to be influencing the child and that the child is going to catch. Um, unless we are, as you're saying, and I like your analogy, building up the immune system. Karen? Um, yeah, I like the analogy too. Um, and with with uh, with a newborn, uh, he's particularly <laughs> yeah. um, This idea of antibodies, and I'm, I'm going to start off with that, that idea mm. that Melissa ended with. Unless we're actively inserting that into society, we do need Continue on your medical an- analogy there. Active antibodies to it. It's not just a case where we can protect ourselves in a in a kind of plastic bubble. This is not allergies that we catch. Mm. Um, yes. It becomes part of our body, our way of being, and it affects our behavior. And unless we insert it into our our behaviors, our practices, our ways of thinking, the opposite, the mm. antidote to it. And it's, we're never going to rid ourselves of it. All we'll do is sanitize against it. All we'll do is say, um, you know, this is not right. 
oh, but it won't create people who act in a particular, particularly different way, a, a, a different culture, a different way of thinking. Um, so I think, to use your analogy, we can't just sanitize against racism. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't wash our hands clean of it. It needs to be inculcated into our practice, into our ways of being, become part of our DNA, um, to use the, 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 the metaphor that Melissa used earlier. If racism was part of our DNA and how his, history's DNA, anti-racism must equally be, become part of that DNA. Wow, I like that. And, and it doesn't happen by just letting things sort of roll over. For sure. Yeah. So, so let's take the four things of anti-racism week. The, the, the first one is to learn about it. So let's, what, what are the handles? People listening to us. How, how do we learn about it? Where do we learn about it? Uh, just give, and so we want to go through those four things. And then Karen, uh, have you got your paper with you that you could just probably read a piece for us probably at the end? So if you can just start preparing yourself for that. But let's just take on the four things. The issue of learn about it. Talk about it, speak out against it, and act against it. What what does that mean? And and you can probably take all four at the same time, okay. oh, and we'll go to Karen, and then we'll end with Karen. Okay. Well, you know, I think the the hashtag take on racism is really important because what it what it indicates to us is that this is not a passive process. This is something that we have to be committed to, and we have to understand it as part of our own lifelong process of learning, of becoming fully human. So, the, you know, we we. We, there is so much material out there, if if we are serious about it, that we can learn. Um, and it, it just, you know, it, it just isn't good enough to sort of suggest that somehow, you know, the, the material isn't available for learning. We can, um, but but we have to want to. So it has to be something that we commit to. Um, and the same goes around the the speaking out and the the acting. Um, we're working on a project that now that um, that deals with, with the whole notion of the bystander. You know, because it's so much easier to just keep quiet, just to let things roll over. But how do we recognize those moments at which, you know, an oppressive structure is being reinforced in the micro moment, you know, because it's all these, these structures of oppression obviously need everybody in a way to be on board all the time to be sort of reinforcing it. How do we recognize when that's happening through a comment that someone's making or, or the way of particular persons perhaps being ignored in a particular situation or whatever? And how do we become um, upstanders as they use in the jargon so that it's like that we interrupt it, that we actually say, hey, wait a moment, that's not on, you know, because actually it takes very little very often to interrupt something, people back down quite quickly when they they know that they're doing something mm, mm. unkind or yes. unjust. So I think we can all in in our everyday lives learn to to be acting, to be interrupting, and um, to be to be um, working towards um, an anti-racist society. Karen, um, I, I I really appreciate what Melissa says. Um, it's really good. I think. One of the one of the commitments I think to um, how we tackle this, and it's a carryover I believe from um, from that historical idea of non-racialism, where solidarity was at the centre of it. Um, people fought against 
the racist state, the racist apartheid state, not only for themselves. They didn't fight racism for themselves and what they could benefit from it or how it could protect them individually. They fought against the racist state and racism for other people. And so you'll see in the marches, the women's marches and so forth, um, hunger strikes, jail sentences, mm. all of those those historical things that uh, you know are so important for all all South Africans to to realize the idea of solidarity for society is good uh, was a very big it's a very important idea and I think within anti racism we need to recapture that idea of solidarity so it's not only for me and mine it's not only for me and my family it's not only because it affects my job or my paycheck or my sense of self and well-being. But as Melissa says, when we can care about the other and stand up, um, so not not be bystanders, but realize that this is our society mm. um, and fight against racism on behalf of those who maybe d- don't have um, the courage to do so or maybe are not, are, are, so, are so oppressed um, and feeling so low that they they don't even have the the self belief to do so, and I think that is a is a responsibility that is a societal responsibility. Um, so that's just as as one comment to um, to something that that I thought about uh, after hearing Melissa, and maybe just to to quote from from this um, the the anti racism report. It's called the, the pathway to anti racism, right? It's called Pathways to Anti-Racism. Right, yep, yep. And it's a 2017 forthcoming publication. Um, commitments to undoing the effects of racism may take many forms. Mm. As is evident in the papers in this publication, government, civil society and individuals can drive anti-racism strategies and practice. For some practitioners of anti-racism, the content of anti-racism work may well be social dialogue, those kinds of programs, pursuing forms of economic distribution or creating integrated human settlements. Rather than prescribing the content of our anti-racist practice or programs, what we need to do is encourage scholars and activists and ordinary people to consider how a broad social project of anti-racism and its social outcomes may unfold in South Africa. What we need to do is add to a discourse of renewal and collective transformation, including both structural, palliative elements to racism and visionary everyday politics that move society towards solidarity. And I think that's the, the spirit of that publication, uh, Sean. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. And I think, thanks, Karen. I'd, um, Melissa, just give you one more minute just to wrap up uh, uh, this discussion. I think it's going it, 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 we need much more time. Yes, uh, but yeah. But just just to express a really strong appreciation for what Karen has has said and, and what they, what has been written in this book, um, uh, Pathways, um, and and I also just want to add that 
that you know the the notion of how we build society upon solidarity towards social justice i think is right at the heart of what what we need to be doing and how we need to understand the work that we're doing in in the anti racism um network generally and i want to also just add to that that this is not for example for me to do anti racism work is not about charity towards black people the solidarity has to do with my own self respect I actually have to reclaim my humanity. So my own skin is actually in this process. Um, for all of us, this is, this is not about, um, patronizing or sympathy. It's about how do we build a society in which my own self-respect, my own humanity is also affirmed because unless it's unless our society is affirming everybody's human dignity and everybody's humanity it 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 detracts from mine and and there's only one way for us to move forward and that is for all of us to be gaining um dignity and and self-respect and and human value thank you so much melissa and karen um and thanks for cliff central for giving us this opportunity but as we end Anti-Racism Week today, let's still be reminded that it's not about only about the week, but how do we take anti-racism work beyond this week and carry us, carry on the themes of be aware, uh, be frank, be challenged, be conscious, be brave. Uh, and, and today is uh, about how do we become? Because that's what it's about. It's, it's, it's becoming, you know, uh, one of the holy books says, unless we become, become like little children. And that's, that's the, the, how do we become anti-racist? How do we become activists, actively involved in eradicating racism? And, and if you look at the pathways to anti-racism, what Karen was saying, we need a collective approach. It's, it's civil society. It's faith-based organizations. Everyone, this, and, and no race can be left out in this country when we're dealing with anti-racism week. It's impossible to leave anybody out. So we, we gotta look at how do we be inclusive in terms of dealing with this. And for those that are listening, become part of ANSA. You could go onto our webpage, ansa.org, and see how you could get involved in that. Again, thank you so much, Karen and Melissa, and to Cliff Central. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you.